As we turn to Scripture, let's pray together. Open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Spirit, that as the Scriptures are read and your Word is proclaimed, we may hear your voice and answer your call. Amen. This week we're beginning a sermon series called Unsettled Questions. And so throughout this month we'll be reading texts from the book of Acts, that's the history of the early church, and we'll look at some of the questions that they struggled with. Now that was almost 2,000 years ago, so you'd think by now we would have settled all these questions, but no, humans being humans, we're still working on it. Today's reading and today's question comes from the book of Acts, chapter 8. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to us. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. This is the word of the Lord. In the very first church that I served in Atlanta, Georgia, there was a hallway beside the church office. And there was a door that you had to pass through to walk down that hallway. And the door had words on it painted in white, keep this door closed. Now, I don't know why that door was supposed to stay closed. Who knows what battles were fought in years past over that door, what blood was spilt debating whether or not to paint those words on the door. Maybe it was a, a fire code thing. Who knows? But for all my time there, I watched that door, the one with the words, keep this door closed, painted on it in bright letters. I watched that door, and not one time in all my time there was that door closed. <laughs> it always stayed open. I watched this strange thing for several months before I, I, before I finally asked people about it. And most people didn't even seem to realize that the door had words painted on it. You know how you stop seeing things that you see all the time. Nobody knew who painted those words or why the door was not closed or why we were supposed to keep it closed in the first place. All of that had disappeared in the mists of time. 
And you know, I have been haunted by, really inspired by, the mystery of that door ever since. The sign says it should stay closed. That is the letter of the law. But something, something stops people from closing it. Something, maybe call it the Spirit, keeps it open. I think that says something important about the church. Now, the church has been wrestling with this from the very beginning. Which doors should be open and which doors should stay closed? Who's in and who's out? Put it another way, who is a part of the family? That question hangs over the book of Acts. That's what this story of the Ethiopian eunuch is really all about. He had everything else. Ethiopians were considered the most beautiful people of the ancient world, so he had beauty. He's the treasurer for the queen, so he has wealth, he has power, but he's also a eunuch. And that means he doesn't have and cannot have a family. So maybe that's what he's looking for. Now, Mary Carr says that a dysfunctional family is any family with more than one person in it. <laughs> now, that may seem a bit harsh, but a quick glance at the Bible seems to confirm it. The very first family in the Bible is a disaster. As the story goes, the first husband and wife lead each other into temptation. Then they try to blame each other. He blames her. She blames the snake. They all get kicked out of the garden. One of their sons murders his brother in a jealous rage. Later, one of Noah's sons sees his father drunk and Noah curses him for it. Later still, Abraham lies and deserts his wife all to save his own skin. You know, I'm talking about just the first five pages of the Bible here. <laughs> The Bible is not romantic about family life. But it does use family language in positive ways, too. The prophet Isaiah imagines God's love as a mother's love. Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? When Jesus talks about God, he uses the word Abba, which is an intimate word for father. When Paul tries to explain what has happened in the divine human relationship, he uses family language. We once were orphans, he says, cut off from God and from one another. We had no family, but now we've been adopted. Now we're part of God's family. Maybe that's what this Ethiopian eunuch is looking for. And up until now, he's found nothing but closed doors. But Philip driven by the Spirit, comes along and changes all that. He helps the man understand what he's been reading in Scripture. And then they come across a puddle of water in the middle of the wilderness. And the man asks, what's to prevent me from being baptized? And Philip realizes the answer is nothing. And so they jump down into the water together, and the Ethiopian eunuch gets baptized and finds a family at last. Now, that may seem like a straightforward story, but in actuality, it marks a profound turning point in the history of the church. The first Christians were all Jews, including Philip. 
And the Jewish law was pretty clear about Ethiopians and eunuchs. The book of Deuteronomy says in big white letters that neither foreigners nor eunuchs should be accepted into the family of faith. That door should be closed. So this man was double canceled. Once because he was a foreigner and a second time because his sexual identity did not conform to the categories of the law. So Philip was in a bind, torn between the letter of the law, which said this Ethiopian eunuch was cut off from God's family, torn between that and the spirit, which said that Philip should embrace this man as part of that family. And in this incredible, fateful moment in the church's history, Philip followed the Spirit. He threw the door open. And the early church eventually decided that he was right, that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of love was, was pushing beyond the letter of the law, and we should follow along. And it's not an exaggeration to say, none of us would be sitting here today if that hadn't happened. The church still argues about who really belongs in the family of God. Which doors should we keep closed? What exactly do you have to believe to belong? Who do you have to be? What do you have to do? It's an unsettled question. Except that it seems to me, in reality, it was settled almost 2,000 years ago. The story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch makes it clear that the spirit of love surpasses the letter of the law. And that means everyone. Everyone has a place in the family. There's no condition, no status, no standing, no orientation that prevents people from belonging. One of the great preachers of our time, Fred Craddock, tells a story about vacationing with his wife in Tennessee and one night they stopped at a quiet little restaurant and while they were waiting for their food they noticed a distinguished looking man working his way from table to table visiting with the guests. Craddock leaned over to his wife and whispered, I hope he doesn't come over here. But sure enough, the man did come over to their table. Where are you folks from? He asked in a friendly voice. Oklahoma, Craddock answered curtly. What do you do for a living, he asked. Hoping to stop the conversation in its tracks, Craddock replied, I teach homiletics. Homiletics? So, so you teach preachers to preach, right? Well, I've got a story for you. <laughs> and with that, the man pulled up a chair and sat down at their table. Here comes another preacher story, thought Craddock. Everybody's got a preacher story. The man stuck out his hand. I'm Ben Hooper. I was born not, not far from here across the mountains. Now, my mother wasn't married when I was born, so I had a pretty hard time. When I started school, my classmates made fun of me. I used to go off by myself at recess and lunchtime. And what was worse was going to town on Saturday afternoons and feeling like every eye was burning a hole through me, wondering who my father was. When I was about 12, a new preacher came to our church I would always go in late and slip out early to avoid being seen. Some of you can probably relate to that. <laughs> but one day the preacher said the benediction so fast I got caught and had to walk out with the crowd. I could feel every eye in church on me. 
Just about the time I got to the door, I felt a hand on my shoulder. I looked up, and the preacher was looking right at me. Who are you, son? Whose boy are you, he asked. I felt this big weight coming down on me. It was like a big black cloud. Even the preacher was putting me down. But as he looked down at me, studying my face, he began to smile. Wait a minute, he said. I know who you are. I can see the family resemblance now. You are a child of God. And with that, he patted me on the shoulder and said, You've got a great inheritance, son. Go and claim it. The old man looked across the table at Craddock and said, Those were the most important words anybody ever said to me, and I've never forgotten them. And with that, he smiled, shook hands with them, and moved on to another table. And as he walked away, Craddock, who was a native of Tennessee himself, remembered that on two occasions the people of Tennessee had elected governors who had been born out of wedlock, and one of them was named Van Hooper. We live in a world which all too often makes us feel inadequate and incomplete shuts doors in our faces. Despite all our best efforts, we will never be beautiful enough or successful enough or smart enough or young enough or good enough. The only thing that can pierce this paralysis of spirit is the deep awareness that we are loved. Not despite our shortcomings, not because of our achievements, but simply because of who we are as children of God. That's why we keep coming back to this table. Month after month, we come to this table as a reminder that everyone is invited. No matter who you are, no matter what road you have traveled down, no matter your faith or doubt, everyone is invited. Everyone has a place. Everyone is part of the family. Everyone is loved. No exceptions. The door is always open. Thanks be to God. Amen.